And today is our final day. Um, and we are going to finish this morning on the hinge of Mark's gospel that we read at the beginning uh, from Matthew's gospel, the bit that says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say I am? Remember, um, in Mark's gospel, Mark has been making an invitation throughout to ask you, who do you say I am? Who do you think Jesus is? And he's been giving evidences along the way that people are amazed at, astounded at. We get to glimpse in at how different people view Jesus. For example, we get to see how his family view him. They believe that he's out of his mind. We get to see how the religious leaders view him. They think or potentially demon-possessed in some way. We get to see the crowd's enthusiasm and passion for him as they want to see what will this miraculous man do next. And we get to see his disciples also, who are watching and they're very excited about who he potentially might be. And Peter makes that declaration today. Alongside this, we see the spiritual powers. So we see the demonic very clearly saying, he is the son of God. He is the son of God. He is the son of God. And there might be a couple of ways that this is working out. Potentially, um, they can't contain themselves. But the other view might be that if you know somebody is maybe uh, you view them as not having a very sound mind... And they are saying, he is the son of God. Then does that not cast a doubt on who he is? Do you see what I mean? It's almost like a reverse action is taking place. They are saying it, so it cannot be true. So we're going to think about today how we would answer that question. If Jesus says to us, who do you say? that I am. And before we all go to sleep and go, oh, I know this one, I want you to stay with me, okay? (laughs) No sleeping. (laughs) So for me, when I first heard about Jesus, I was about eight. Um, We had moved from the north to the south. We didn't know anyone. I ended up going to a brethren assembly afternoon Sunday school. I'm sure just for free childcare, we all love a bit of that. I don't know why we end up there, but my mum's sitting over there, so you can ask her afterwards, because I don't actually know. Tell her, was it really free childcare? I bet it was. Anyway, you hear during that time, don't you? You hear stories about Jesus. You sing songs about Jesus. Everyone says Jesus is God. You're like, yeah, he is. And then at some point when you're a teenager, you think, yeah, I think that's true. I'm going to get baptized. So then I got baptized. And at that point, yeah, I, you know, they ask you, don't they? Do you think Jesus is the Son of God? Yes, I do. But I think the important thing to remember today is that there's stages of faith. We don't ever stop learning new things about Jesus. We don't ever stop seeing something that we haven't seen before. Something that I might have seen at 8 is very different to something I might see at, say, 15 or, say, 20 or 30 or wherever we are now. Um, It wasn't until I was 20 that I made another kind of significant step of seeing who he was. And at that moment was the moment when I lay it down. I said, okay, well, I know who you are, 
but today you get all of me. You've had kind of a bit of both. You've had kind of, yeah, I want to follow you, but you know, some stuff over here is quite interesting. But on that day, it was no, from now on, you get it own. And it was at that point that I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that transformed everything. A bit like we might think of Peter and the disciples. They kind of know who Jesus is, don't they? And they're going along with him. But it isn't until they're filled with the Holy Spirit that they suddenly, their lives are changed. Everything's transformed. And suddenly they're going and they're really, really living their lives for Jesus. And I'm not saying that at that moment I was then really, really living, but it was certainly another step for me. It was a significant transformation of my eyes being opened to the reality of God. Okay, so I guess that's then for us, stop us going to sleep. Uh, what about you? What do the stages in you, your life of following Jesus look like? Can you remember that moment, potentially, you went to Sunday school, maybe you didn't? Potentially, you've heard about Jesus, maybe at university. Have there been those significant moments at camps or um, a university uh, week? Or has there been a particular youth leader or a person or a friend or a moment when you've been filled with the Spirit afresh? What have those stages been in your life as you start to understand and grasp the reality of not only who Jesus is, but the reality of his presence in our lives? So that's where we're at today in this pivotal point of Mark's gospel of who do you say I am? It is the most important question we will ever answer in our lives. It might be at the moment that we think the most important question might be something to do with in or out, (laughs) and the implications of that to our children and our children's children. It might be that we think the most important question would be whether we would say yes to the will you marry me. We might think uh, the most important question will be uh, what we would study at university or what job we should take or where we should live. These are all important questions that we take in life, but they're not the most important question. They won't have the same uh, eternal implications and implications now on our life than that one question that Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? So let us turn to the passage together, Um, and we're going to read um, from the text Mark chapter 8 and verse 11. So Mark 8, verse 11. Now in front of you, you will find that there is a little, oh, my life just, oh, sorry about that. (laughs) I lost some water, but move that Bible. Um, in front of you, there's one of these. What page is it on, guys? 1011. 1011. Okay, so you should be me. And we're going to read it a little bit. We're going to do a little bit of time. We're going to think about how they respond to the question, who do you say that I am? So, so we've just had the feeding of the 4,000. That's happened. It's the second time that Jesus has fed a miraculous number of people. We had to remember the 5,000 the other week. Now we've got the four. John talked about it last week. It says, The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him. 
They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply. Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. Cross the other side. The interesting thing here about the Pharisees is they're a bit like people who, you know, remember the week that we looked at how they traveled 80 miles to see Jesus, to tell him he was wrong. Um, these are the sorts of people that are really very willing to have a discussion with you about why they believe that Jesus is not the Son of God. We might have them in different situations. But after a while, and I've done this myself, I've sat with people for a very long time, and it does appear that actually they're not in the, in the business of actually thinking about this question, but rather they have only come to say you're wrong. And that's a really sad place to be because you see what Jesus does here in verse 13, he left them. He left them. And it's a bit like that passage where Jesus sends out the disciples. He says, go to the villages. If they don't accept you, wipe the dust off your feet and walk away. It's a desperate, desperate place to be. Let's look at the next bit. Uh, We're now going to turn to our disciples. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, is it because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Why don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Okay, so we're in the boat now with the disciples, and we've got the same thing again. They're like, yeast the Pharisees, what's he on about? I think it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think it shows partly that they're not scholars. Do you know what I mean? We, sometimes we forget they're just fishermen. Um, Obviously, if they'd have thought for an instant, we go back to the Passover. Um, when, you know, in the Passover event, they get rid of all the yeast from the house. Yeast is associated with sin. And when he's saying, you know, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees, he's not talking about bread. It's like, watch out for false teaching. Watch out for what they've said. Look, they've just come and refused to accept me as a son of God watch out for their teaching. Just watch out. And straight away, they're into, do we have no bread? What's going on? And then he's like almost exasperated at this point. Did you not see the baskets? Did you not see them? You know, you have one loaf. How much do you think we could get back for it? You know, he's getting to that point where he's astounded. And we see this in the Gospels as a whole. We see people are astounded and astonished at Jesus. But we also see that Jesus is astounded and astonished at them. He is astonished that with 
all the miracles that he's shown, people still reject him. And here, he's just like, oh, my life. He's just sighed at the Pharisees. Yeah, want another sign? Is this not enough? And now his disciples, you can feel the weight of it, of like, can you not see? I wonder what he's like with us when we're like, uh, Lord, would you mind helping me with this? But I know you probably won't. And he's probably like, do you still not understand? <laughs> you know, like John was saying earlier, wasn't he, about what would you like God to do? And it's like, yeah, of course. He's that one. He's the one that can take a loaf, feed everyone, and have a load left over. It says he lavishes his, his love upon him. He's abundant in how he wants to be in our lives. He wants to give our lives fullness and enrich it. And we're like, yeah, I don't think he'll do that. So, do you still not understand? What else does he say? Now, this is interesting, isn't it? Look at verse 17. Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Are your hearts hardened? If you just look back a tiny weeny bit and go to chapter 7 and verse 21, you'll remember that when we did that chapter, um, Jesus was really clear that it was from within of a person's heart that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality and so forth. He was talking about what comes out of a person. It was about their heart that needed to be changed. Remember, we talked about that. And here, he's saying it of the disciples, are your hearts still hardened? Now, that hardened word is from um, kind of a Greek word where we get the word porous from. You think of like a rock, and a particularly porous rock can absorb water. Um, so the closest I could get, not having rocks, not being a rock fan, although we do, I do know a rock fan, actually. I should have got involved. Where's um, my rather dirty, I'm so embarrassed, <laughs> um, dirty sponge. Okay, so um, this isn't a natural sponge, so it's not brilliant. I wish I could have got a really big, fat, natural sponge, because um, if you've had a natural sponge, you know that when it's out of water, it goes rock hard, doesn't it? Literally, you could, like, you could do cement with that baby. It's so hard. Um, and I was thinking about this. I was thinking, you know, when we're, when, when we're kind of children, I think this is partly why Jesus says come as children. Our hearts are a little bit softer. I see it with my own kids. They're a bit like, I say, oh, let's pray about that. They're like, yeah. They see a man walking down the road. They go, oh, he has a broken leg. Let's pray for him, mummy. I'm like, oh, no, we'll be okay. Let's go. (laughs) So it's a bit like that. But as we get older, our hearts become harder. We start um, accepting things. He's saying to the disciples, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees, but we might have other things that we might be watching out for. You know, what is hardening our hearts? What's putting the barriers up that make us doubt or mistrust who Jesus is and what he's capable of doing? You know, he's astounding in what he's able to do. You know, there are moments in our lives when we are absolutely over overwhelmed by the goodness of God, but how easy it is to then just even moments later start to doubt that he'll help you with the next thing. And this is because our hearts get dry. We need them softened. Now, on Alpha, they do a great little trick with the old Holy Spirit. So I thought, well, I'll do it too, because it's good. And uh, basically what they do is they take a sponger and then they put the water on it. They say, well, this is like the Holy Spirit. When When he comes, he like drenches us 
And then we're like nice and soft uh, in our things. Our hearts become soft and uh, we can kind of pour that out to people. That's how we live the Christian life, you know. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, But if we're not regularly filled, then our hearts become hard again. So we just need to kind of watch out for that. Okay, let's move on to the third one. So we're going to go to blind, the blind man now. My hands are all wet. Turn over in case I forget something. Okay, so 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Then he spat on the man's eyes and he put his hands on him. Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. So here we have an example. Do you remember like Jesus, he always teaches through pictures and stories because it helps you remember, I think. You know, like how many talks can you remember either at school or in church or whatever where you just remember the illustration? In fact, sometimes you can't really remember, what's that about? (laughs) But you do remember that. And Jesus teaches a lot through that, doesn't he? He tells stories and he does actions and he's trying to communicate. So here he's got a man um, and the man comes with his friends who beg Jesus to touch him. There's lots of begs in here. And the first point, um, he sees partly. And this can often, this is kind of an illustration, isn't it, of coming to know Jesus. We see it um, at first a bit fuzzy. If you imagine it like a jigsaw piece, and imagine I'm, here it is, use your imagination again. Here's your piece one, piece two, do, 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 do. Right, you haven't got it all, but you can see enough to know what the, what the image is. You can make a guess, a bit like catchphrase, you know, when you do the final bit. I love that. And here it is, you can see who it is. Now, at this point, you can say, yes, I believe. Or you can say, like the Pharisees, that piece over there doesn't fit. So a barrier has gone up straight away. And, and there's a bit of this that we do all the time because sometimes we, some of us need more than others. And that's okay, we're all wired differently. Some of us only need a piece in the corner and we're like, yay, I'm with Jesus. Some of us need a few more and they're like, yeah, okay. Some of us need to reason it out and they're like spending hours. But actually, the thing about following Jesus is this will never be perfect until we see him face to face. We will never have all the answers. This is why it's so hard if you're an analytical person because you've got to hold the tension of understanding something of who Jesus is and yet not understanding who Jesus is. We can't grasp the fullness of God. It's beyond our comprehension and yet we can grasp enough of who Jesus is. And it's interesting here, the only thing really to take away that I want you to take today anyway from this, not the only thing, is that 
Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and the eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. When we are struggling to see who Jesus is or how he will come through for us or what he is available to do or we're feeling our hearts have gone hard, the only thing is to ask Jesus to touch us again, to fill us with his Holy Spirit once more. And I think for people we know maybe who we sense um, can't see who Jesus is, it can be so frustrating because it's so obvious at times to us. Well, of course, there is a heart issue here to pray for the heart to be softened. And softening hearts is not only about seeing Jesus, but the root is seeing Jesus. And from that, everything else comes. And then finally, we get, um, they go to Caesarea Philippi. So let's read the final bit, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But who But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. Now, when they come to Caesarea Philippi, this is a place, um, you can still go there today, where it had been like a religious place to go. So over the years, various gods had been worshipped there. So Baal had been worshipped there. Um, Pan had been worshipped there. And now Caesar is worshipped there. So you can imagine, as you come into this place, they are literally surrounded by gods that people worship. And in the middle of this place, Jesus says to them, Who do people say I am? Am I one of these guys? And they say, oh, you might be this, you might be this, you might be this. And he says, no. Who do you say I am? And then Peter says, you are the Messiah. And he's like, yes, I've done it. And we all know what happens next. But at this point, Jesus says, interestingly, don't tell anyone. And this happens through Mark, doesn't it? We see it a lot. It's not you know, don't tell him, don't tell him, don't tell him. A little bit of it's not my time. But also, at this point, how much understanding do they really have of what the Messiah means? Very little. They are on a journey of seeing who Jesus is. And just saying he is the Messiah, they have just literally like this because they've got so far to go on knowing what that means. Is the Messiah a political leader who's going to overthrow the Romans, bring liberation to them, restore the fortunes of Israel? No. But that's what they believe he is. So yes, he's got the right answer, but he hasn't quite understood. I just want you to, if you can, I won't want you to jump too much, but if you would just go to Matthew 16... So it goes Matthew, Mark. So you're going to go back a tiny little bit. Matthew 16. And just look at Matthew's account. Because Matthew adds something which I think is so important for us today. 
Um, It's Matthew 16 and verse 15. And Matthew records something slightly different. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter asked, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Again, same answer. But then Matthew adds this. Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And that is so, so important, isn't it? Because it can't be revealed to you by anyone else. I can't reveal it to my children, however much I want to, that God is real. Even when they sit there and go, Mum, how do you know that God is real? We've got a lot of that at the moment with an eight-year-old. How do you know they're real? How do you know he talks? But I can't, whatever I do, I can testify as much as I like and say, I know he's real for me and I'm going to give you some examples of how God's worked in my life. I'm going to tell you how I, how I encounter him, how I feel him. But I need that to be revealed to them by God. It's a heavenly thing. It is the spirit of God coming and revealing that to our hearts. And we can get in a bit of a tension here about, you know, do we choose God? Does God choose us? Let's not go there because when we're trying to figure this out, it's just another barrier. Let's just hold them. Let's hold them. It's a tension. But we need the Spirit of God to come, not only to soften our own hearts, but those of people that we know. So let's finish off. Okay, so let's think about how this applies to us today. Because we could be really tempted to just think, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. That just applies to somebody else. But let's apply it a little bit to ourselves. You know, we saw today the Pharisees who had thought of barriers they could put in the place of not trusting God, of not believing that Jesus was the Son of God. So perhaps we have barriers We thought of the disciples who were so confused. They've seen Jesus do loads of stuff, but they're still like, what's going on? Well, maybe that's you. Maybe you're feeling confused today. Maybe like the blind man, you know, God's helped you see something. You know, like me as an eight-year-old going, oh, that's nice, and a 15-year-old going, yeah, I believe that's... But actually... It's a journey. Have you gone with your journey? Have you been asking, God, open my eyes to see more of you. Soften my heart to understand more of you. So, as a community, we're going to pray in a minute. Um, And I want us not to be afraid to ask for more of Jesus. We should never stop asking for more of his spirit to reveal stuff to us. We should never think, I've ticked the box, I'm in, finished, done, thank you very much. But we want to see more of him. We want to encounter him. The life that we have to the full is not just when we die, but it is now. So let us ask for that and that he would soften our hearts. We're going to pray together in a minute. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer, 
of um, just accepting that Jesus is God, asking him to fill us with his Holy Spirit afresh. And then we're going to have a time of the band are going to come and just lead us in worship. And during this time, um, the prayer team are going to be available at the back so no one can see you. And if you would like to go and just be prayed for, maybe you, you know, you just... It doesn't mean that your heart has gone hard and you're in a desperate state, but rather, I just love more of Jesus. And if that's you, then there's time for that today. I just love more of Jesus. And when people say, can I pray for you? I am the first one. Like, yes, please pray for me. Please pray for me. On our front, I'm always like, I go first. I go first. This for me. So please, please do that today. So let's just bow our heads. We'll have a moment of quiet just to think what God's saying to us today. I'll pray a simple prayer, and then the bands will come lead us. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you love me. I believe you died for me. That you went to the cross and that I am forgiven for all my sins against you and against others. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for rejecting you in the past and for putting up barriers today. Please come into my life afresh Fill me with your Holy Spirit once more. Soften my heart. Help me to live the new life you have for me. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen.